this time, please open God's word with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to begin there. This is where I left off last time, and we're going to continue on, because this is actually a new thought here that is starting to be developed in this section of Scripture. After this great doxology of praise, he starts off now in verse 18 with a charge to Timothy. He writes, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Today here in this passage, I believe that that we are being reminded by God of something that's often forgotten in the modern church. I believe we're being reminded here that Christians have been given a call to war. We're called on by God to fight. We're called to fight against sin and Satan's influence as it comes even into the church. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see this call to war given to us, but our culture and our times that we live in, we have seemed to neglected to look at these kinds of things, but it's important because we are in a spiritual battle as Christians every day. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, for instance, to see this. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 we see very clearly that we need to be prepared for war as Christians, spiritual war, that is. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Specifically, he says in the next verse, we destroy arguments. Those are ideologies. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, which comes from the word. And we are to take captive every thought, he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. That sounds like a charge to battle. That sounds like a call to fight. And with spiritual weapons, we are to engage this enemy. We are to fight against lofty opinions of man and the ideologies that we hear in our culture being raised up against the truth of God's word. Now, go with me to Ephesians. Let's go to the right. Ephesians chapter 6. We see there more language that refers to being prepared for battle as Christians. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, understand something about verse 11 there. The God of this world, Satan, with the little g, he is at work influencing this culture, influencing everything that we encounter as Christians. The world is full of his scheming. That's what he's referring to here. You need to put on the armor of God so you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's talking about satanic and demonic activity influencing our culture, not individuals per se always, but in the culture, these things have influence and sway. It's been that way since the beginning in Genesis. There has been an evil influence since the fall of Adam in the garden. Then he says this in verse 13. Here's how you're going to fight. You need to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having, not, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which or with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit or in line with God's word, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is war language. This is what we are called to be ready for as Christians. These passages tell us that as Christians, we must always be ready for battle. That's what these are here to remind us of. And and sadly, much of Christendom today have forgotten this. They have forgotten it and they have neglected this. We live in a day when basically the, the church at large is more focused on learning about the benefits of Christianity and how to find peace in this life than they are to be prepared for this battle. Now listen, there are lots of benefits to Christianity, and there is peace to be certainly enjoyed in Christianity. And those are all good things to be sure, but we aren't to be so focused on them that we actually neglect our greater calling. We don't want to seek these temporary things in the middle of a battle for eternal things. We should be seeking what God tells us to seek, which is to be ready for every battle that comes our way that we engage in. We need to be ready to fight the good fight of faith, is how Paul would put it. I think that we forget this calling, and we need to be remembering this. We need to be reminded of this constantly. We need to be reminded because we have a, a real enemy without, that is Satan. And even as Christians, we have a real enemy within that is indwelling sin. So we are called to be engaged in a battle. And because of indwelling sin in the Christian and because of Satan's influence in the culture, we need to be ready for whatever may come our way spiritually. And we were reminded of that horrifically last Sunday in a little Baptist church in Texas. That was a spiritual battle. That was evil, unchecked. And listen, saints, we are walking into a world full of that kind of evil. We better be ready to engage the enemy. I think that's what Timothy is calling us to remember when we read those verses that I read to you earlier. There in 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, I think we have a call to remember our duty as Christians. Let me give you an outline. Here, the Apostle Paul in this passage 
he tells Pastor Timothy, which is what he was there at Ephesus, he tells Timothy that he has, number one, a, a charge to keep. And that charge, he's going to say later on, basically must be kept by every Christian leader that would follow even after Timothy. But he not only tells him he has a charge to keep, he also secondly tells him that he has a battle to fight. And I want you to understand that that battle must be fought not just by your leaders, but by every Christian in every congregation in every generation. And thirdly, in this passage... Paul tells Timothy that he has a warning to heed. And that warning must be heeded not just by Timothy, not just by the church at large, but by you individually. So there are three things there. A charge to keep, a battle to fight, and a warning to heed. Let's look at the first one in 1 Timothy 1, 18a. There you can see that every Christian leader is given a charge to keep, okay? By divine implication, this applies until Christ returns, all right? He says, this charge or command I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made to you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now that charge or this command that he's given here which is basically this, it is to protect Christ's church in that local congregation, okay? That charge was to be carried out in a specific way by the employment of his spiritual gifts that were recognized at his ordination. That's what Paul's referring to in that passage. Paul's basically reminding Timothy of this. He's giving him a reminder because Timothy was timid at times. He was in a difficult situation. And he would have been tempted at this point to stand up against Hymenaeus and Alexander and actually do battle. He was tempted to run instead of engage. And so he needed this reminder. Look at 2 Timothy 1. You'll see why he needs the reminder. 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 8. Paul is very pastoral and loving here in this passage, but he's also very corrective. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy needed that kind of reminder. He needed this kind of reminder to fan basically this, this flame that had kind of went out because there was a battle he's about to engage in. And he needs to be remembering that this battle is something that God is going to be with him in. God has equipped him for this. He has given him spiritual gifts to help him fight this battle to protect the church. That's what he's saying when he says, do this in accordance with the prophecies made about you. Now, Timothy, when he was there at Ephesus, he was serving, as I said, as a pastor there. And that charge he was given was given for a specific reason. Go back to chapter 1. Verse 3, there were some bad guys coming into the church at Ephesus. And the charge he's given there in the passage we read earlier, that charge is given so that he would know how to protect these 
people in this church from the errors brought in by these false teachers. In verses 3 and 5, Paul talks about that. He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So he's saying, look, you're given this charge in verse 18 because of these kinds of situations. This is coming in to devastate and destroy this church. You're going to have to stand firm. But you stand firm in accordance to the prophecies made about you at your ordination, the things that we saw in your life, those spiritual gifts that we saw qualified you to be a protector of the church. And he tells him specifically how to protect the church with his gifts. If you go with me to chapter 4 of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11. This is all in way of introduction of what we're actually going to get into. But I want you to understand what's going on in that very first part of what we read earlier. Here in 4.11, Paul tells Timothy how to protect the church through his spiritual gift. He says this, verse 11, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, that is explaining the word, to teaching, that is applying the word. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Then he says this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the doctrine, the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word save there has reference to protect or rescue or guard. So, He's telling him, look, you're charged, Timothy, by God to protect the church. And you're equipped, Timothy, by God to protect the church by following God's directions here. You're to employ your spiritual gifts. You are to equip them. You are to edify them. You are to model for them the truth that you are called on to proclaim. Timothy was eager to do that, but I think he was frightened to do that at times. That's why he needed this kind of charge in 118. In 118, Timothy was charged to employ this to protect the church, but not just to protect the church on one level, just to keep the bad guys out, but also to protect the church when the church goes out, when the church goes out to engage the enemy. He is called to equip them with his spiritual gift so that they would be spiritually strong and ready to do battle against sin in themselves and Satan's influence in the world. See, that's, that's part of the modeling process here. He's showing them how important this is. He's teaching it. He's doing it so that they likewise would follow his example when they go out and do battle because we are in a war, a war with sin and Satan's influence. The charge given there in Timothy 1.18 is, as I said, a divine charge that extends beyond Timothy to all Christian leaders, pastors, teachers. And it extends, and we know it's universal, 
because the weapons that he is called to use, the spiritual gifts he's been given, are something that God continues to bless teachers and pastors with in every generation. God wants all his leaders to be teaching the truth, preaching the truth, and modeling the truth, and using their divine weapons to encourage the church and protect the church, to equip the church, to be able to discern the enemy within us and the enemy without We need to be able to discern the sin that so easily besets us. And we need to be able to be strengthened to fight against the schemes of Satan's influence that come into our minds like a flood through things like Facebook and TV and just the culture in general. We need to be ready for a spiritual battle. If we don't, we're going to be tossed to and fro, weakened by sin and Satan's schemes. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, there's the purpose clause, why do we have pastors and teachers, why do we have these gifts from God to the church, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul gave Timothy a charge to keep to employ his spiritual gifts for the protection and edification and equipping of the saints to go into battle. We are called to go into this. We are called to go into this because this charge goes beyond the leadership of the church. It goes into every Christian individually. This charge goes to every Christian generation. And he's telling Timothy here, Timothy, you must keep this charge. By employing your spiritual gifts. Because the church is going to come after you that's going to need those gifts. There's going to be more generations and more generations of Christians who need their spiritual leaders to be equipping them for the battle. That's what we see secondly here in 1 Timothy 1.18b. Every Christian generation has a battle to fight. Just look at the very tail end of verse 18. There he commands Timothy to wage the good warfare. Well, how does he do it? He does it by using his spiritual weapons, his spiritual gifts. Now listen, Timothy is primarily who's being called on here to wage the good warfare as the pastor. I understand that contextually. But understand what Timothy's called to do pastorally. He's called to teach the church how to war against sin and error. 
by implication then, we can see that we are to follow this example in every generation. He's called to battle to show the church how to battle because every generation is going to fight the same warfare. We're going to always face indwelling sin and Satan's influence without. But notice that Paul calls this warfare something specific for the Christian. He calls it a good warfare. It is a good warfare. It is good because of what it produces. It produces encouragement in the church because to be prepared for the battle, you have to know the truth. And the more you know the truth, the more you can discern evil in your own hearts and the evil that comes from without. It's good because it protects the church and it equips the church by driving them into the truth deeper and deeper to be prepared to stand firm on that day when the battle rages. Church, we're called to do that. Listen, I know that all the men in this congregation, if they would have been standing in Texas at that little Baptist church on the day that that man walked in, every one of you men would lay down your life to stop him. Let me just say this. There is more evil going on than that all around us. Are we ready to stop it? See, the thoughts that that man had in his heart that were expressed on that day, they were just that. They were in his heart for a time. And someone needed to engage that man with the truth. Someone needed to speak the truth in love to him. Someone needed to prepare some of those people in that congregation for what could happen one day when something like that comes into the church. They need to have their hearts and minds ready for battle. Christianity is is glorious, it is joyful, it is peaceful, it is hopeful, but it's a battle. There's a real enemy. Listen, I don't get off on chasing spiritual demons under every bush. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, but we have a real enemy who influences this culture and this world all around us. They're absorbing it like it's actually the air they breathe. And it will work its way into the church. We will have struggles. We must be ready for this. We must be ready to fight this. We need to know how to fight it with confidence. We need to know how to fight it knowing that Christ is with us in it. Look with me at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 9. 1 Peter 3, 9. I'm going to read down to verse 17. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We want to pursue all these things, right? But we know that we're not going to be able to do this all the time because we have a real enemy. So he says this in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's a comfort in that. God is with us, and he is against evil. Verse 13 says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor or sanctify Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. God does not varnish over the hard truths. We're going to have difficulty if we do this. He says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? Well, there's a lot of people, actually. But what he's talking about is the spiritual implications of this. Who's going to change your spiritual condition even if they attack you and take you out? No one. Because God is for me. He has chosen me by His grace. Therefore, I will give a defense for the hope that I have in the One who saved me. And I'll do it with gentleness and respect. And I'll, I'll do it to honor His name, even though it may be costly. Peter doesn't tell us it won't be costly. He makes it clear to us that it will be costly. There will be a battle. There's going to be a battle because, again, as I said, we are fighting against a current in this world that is dominated by Satan and sin. So you can expect a fight. If we're not ready to fight, we may find ourselves very, very discouraged. Very surprised. Because the battle is going to come. We just need to be aware that it is there and we need to know how to confidently stand on that day when it comes. If we're not ready for this fight, there's a warning mentioned here in Timothy. If we're not ready for this fight, we may find ourselves like those who didn't heed the warnings of Paul. We find ourselves spiritually sinking, spiritually sunk, if you will, by our own indwelling sin and Satan's influence that comes to us through our culture. And it'll happen. It will happen. You will be sunk by your own sin or Satan's influence if you are not doing what Peter said there, if you are not sanctifying Christ as Lord, setting Him apart as the Master and the One who controls and directs everything in your life. If you're not honoring Him that way, you will sink easily away. You'll sink into things like despair and guilt because you've not lived a life to honor Christ. You've lived a life to honor yourself. That's what indwelling sin will do. But if you are going to fight against that, you need to sanctify Christ as the Lord of your life. When you set your mind on Him, when you fix your heart on Him, when you focus on Him and not yourself, there is great joy and pleasure and peace. And as a result, even sanctification where you're moving away from sin. Because it no longer has dominance over you because Christ is your Lord will easily sink into despair and guilt if we're not careful. Sin's presence in our flesh, if it's left unchecked, it will flood our minds with temptations. Can we say amen to that? Mm-hmm. Sin and Satan both seek nothing more than to destroy us. Sin's presence left unchecked will flood us with all kinds of wickedness in our minds. And Satan's influence in the world, if it's left unchecked, It'll drown our hope. It'll drown our convictions. If we're not ready to fight against both, 
we're going to find ourselves spiritually shipwrecked. Go back to 1 Timothy 1, 18. Paul tells Timothy here that if, if he's going to wage war against Satan's influence and indwelling sin and not suffer shipwreck, he better do it in a very specific way. And he says, and in, in basically, let me just read back there, 18 down to 19a. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. So, through the spiritual gifts in verse 18 that you've been given, that we recognize that your ordination, you're to engage the enemy in a good warfare, but make sure you do it personally very carefully. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now, it can mean, theologically, it can simply mean holding to the doctrines that are revealed to us in Scripture. Holding faith. I think it means that, but I think it means more than that. It means holding on to that faith, trusting in that faith when you're in the midst of the battle and that that faith seems like it's going to rock by the enemy's attack. Come back to the revealed truth of God and rest in that. But also, if you're going to engage in spiritual battle, you better make sure you have a good conscience. You don't want to go into battle when you have all of your weapons and all of your gear left behind because you have a guilty conscience. Or all of your weapons and all the the gear that you have are defiled by the lack of use and they're corroding because of the way you have treated them and you're not ready to engage the battle because you have a guilty conscience. You're just not ready. He says you better make sure you're holding on to the faith and you have a good conscience. Meaning... If you're going to go into this good warfare against sin and Satan, you need to be strong in your faith. And you need to have a clear conscience. That's positively what he's saying. If you don't have both of these things and you go into battle, you're going to find yourself in the same place that Hymenaeus and Alexander found themselves. You're going to find yourself in a spiritual shipwreck. And what did I say earlier? Every one of us in every generation are going to go into a battle like this. And so you better make sure when you go into it, you're holding on to the truth. And that truth is holding on to your life. It's changing you. It's giving you a clear conscience so that you can go out and engage the enemy without fear, without hesitation, but with conviction, with boldness and confidence in Christ. God has given us a way to build our confidence in Christ and to Help us have a clear conscience. He's given us the word of truth to wash over us. He's given us the word of truth to protect us. He's given us the word of truth to cultivate sanctification and holiness within us. But if we're not cultivating that, if we're not getting into God's word, we probably won't engage the enemy with a clear conscience holding strongly to the faith. See, God does supernatural work, but he also calls us to duty. Getting in the Word is duty. It's a delightful duty. But if you want to fight the enemy, you better know his tactics. You better know how to engage him properly. You better know how to avoid his traps. That's what the Word of God is given to us for. It's to know how God sees this. How God wants us to live in light of these battles that wage around us. It's 
the only way you're going to avoid a spiritual shipwreck. Let me give you things that the Word of God will help you do in avoiding spiritual shipwreck. The Word of God, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Word of God can anchor, can anchor us in the storms of temptation if we submit to it. In 10, 13, it says this as a promise. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That does not say that God will not put more on you than you can handle. Simply speaking, God always puts things on us that we can't handle. That's why we need Him. He says he's going to always, though, provide a way of escape in these situations. Well, I'm going to simplify what I think that means here, because everybody speculates. I think it has to do with holding to the faith. I think the way of escape has always been the same. It was the same that what God ordained before the foundation of the world it would be. It's the same when it came to pass in time. It's the same when we look back in history at it. The way of escape is the cross. It's the work of Christ. Whenever we're tempted, whenever we're drifting, that's the anchor that brings us back to the hope that we belong to God because Christ took our place. That helps me fight with indwelling sin. That helps me engage the culture and Satan's influence. I have been purchased by the Son of God through His blood. I have been declared to be righteous through His works. I have been now gifted with His Spirit and able to withstand the enemy on that day. So we have to know the Word of God if we want to avoid shipwreck. I think that's what Paul's trying to get at here when he's warning Timothy. See, he tells, he tells us that we need to have a clear conscience here in this text. A good conscience. And the reason we need to have a good conscience is because when we are called to follow the Lord into battle, we do not want to hesitate. We do not want to step back. What happens when you have a guilty conscience? When you have done something bad to your coworker or to your family member and they ask you to come do something joyful with them, what do you do? A guilty conscience says, I need to do something else. That's okay. See, a guilty conscience will cause you to hesitate. In the heat of the battle. You'll hesitate to follow Christ. You'll hesitate because a guilty conscience doesn't allow you, does not allow you to honestly speak the truth that you know God has revealed because you are fighting against the truth in your own heart. Instead of helping others in this battle, a guilty conscience keeps you withdrawn from the battle. It keeps you in a place of hesitation. So we have to have a good conscience. And that good conscience, as I said, comes to us by reflecting on the word of truth that points us to the gospel of Christ. That's how we have a good conscience. Listen, if you are constantly examining your own heart, you will be constantly repenting of sin. If you're constantly looking at the cross You're constantly being aware of this indwelling sin in your flesh. And you will constantly look to Christ to help you through every moment of the day. And then you have a clear conscience, a good conscience, because Christ has paid it all. Hallelujah. Christ is all I need. 
But it's important to have a clear conscience when you're going to go into battle. That's why I think Paul's telling Timothy this. He's telling him this because, look, you, you need to have your mind and your life both sanctified by the truth that you're actually bearing down on others with. If you're going to be ready to do battle spiritually, you cannot be worn down by your own sinfulness and your own guiltiness. I think that Paul's trying to make it very clear to us here that this battle is serious. Let me ask you guys this question this morning. Do you see the seriousness of this battle? Do you see the seriousness of the battle that lies before you and that it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you? No sinner saved by grace sins in the vacuum. Your sins affect others. We are connected in Christ. When you sin and pull back from the battle, we suffer because you're not with us in the battle. So do you see the seriousness of this battle? Are you fighting against sin in the flesh daily by digging into God's word? Are you fighting against Satan's influence in the world by pursuing godliness more than cultural acceptance. If you're not, you're not fighting against these enemies. Their undercurrent, their undercurrent will sweep you away and you will suffer shipwreck in the future. If you're, if you're a Christian, you can still suffer shipwreck. That shipwreck will be used by God to teach you to stay on course next time. And you'll respond to that correction with joy because you know it's for your good that God has disciplined you. But if you're a false professor, if you're a pretender, that wreck could lead to your eternal damnation. That wreck could also be used by God's grace to expose your self-deception. To bring you to repentance. To bring you to faith. You thought you were a Christian, but in reality, because of the pursuits that you have engaged in, because of the love that you have for sin and this world, you have been exposed for one who belongs to this world, but not to Christ. And that is a gift of God's grace if He allows that kind of spiritual shipwreck. How you respond to the shipwrecks that you're going to face when you neglect God's word will reveal what's really in your heart. If you're a Christian or if you're not. Hymenaeus and Alexander did not respond with regret and remorse. But ongoing error. Now God's given us a gift to help protect us from spiritual shipwreck. I'm not going to go into it fully I'll explain it to you in a very practical way. The gift that God's given to uh, the church to fight against spiritual shipwrecks is something that we call church discipline. Matthew 18. See, in, in church discipline, it's not about finding out who's not meeting our standards and kicking them out of the church. Church discipline, on, on one hand, is positive. It's done every single Sunday by doing what I'm doing right now. I'm disciplining you in the truth. I'm teaching you positively the truth to help prevent you from drifting into shipwreck. But if you don't heed the truth, if you don't listen to the truth, we have to move into negative discipline, which is that of going to you individually, if it's habitual, unrepentant sin, and then going to you again with another brother and dealing with it again, and then going again, and you keep on the path that you're going, we eventually bring it before the church 
so that we can acknowledge that you may be a false convert. And we want to see you brought to faith and repentance in Christ. They are put out. But they're put out so we can seek them as unbelievers to see them restored and reconciled. And if they are a Christian who goes to that last step of church discipline, I can guarantee you they will come back repentant and remorseful for what they have done because they love Christ and they love His bride and they can't be without either. If they go on in sin, it could be that they were never truly born again. See, church discipline serves to help basically put to death indwelling sin in the body. Put to death compromise in the church. It helps because it serves like a navigational compass. It directs us on how to deal with sin and it brings us back on course so that we can walk in the truth together. Because God knows that sin left unchecked will extinguish Christian passion and joy and ministry. And sin left unchecked will lead to us compromising our biblical convictions for the acceptance of the culture. And God wants His church to be pure. And He wants His people to avoid shipwreck. So He gives us a warning. The last part here. 1 Timothy 1, 19b-20. In 19b-20 we are given a warning to heed. And this is given by divine implication now. I think not just to the leaders. Not just to generations of Christians. But to you individually this morning. To me individually this morning. This is given by divine implication to all Christians. He says, by rejecting this. Well, what is this? Well, it's very clear in the text. Faith and good conscience. Faith and a good conscience that comes from God's word, from Christ's work. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, faith is just simply they're talking about a system of belief, or it could be talking about what they trusted in, which was their outward behavior. So they shipwrecked, they've exposed themselves for what they really trusted in and what they really were because they have rejected what God has revealed and what God has produced in those who believe. A good conscience and faith in his word. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, listen, this sounds harsh. It's not. It's very loving. The action that Paul took here was not to condemn these men. Paul did not have the power to damn them for eternity. He did not have that within himself. What he's saying is, I am turning these men over to Satan to teach them, to train them. Look, if you're going to be without the church, I'm just going to put you out in the world where Satan's influence reigns. Look how well you do out there so that you'll stop and consider the blasphemy of your teaching. This is a miserable place to be where sin reigns and Satan's influence is dominating. And if you're a Christian, you hate it there. And you would learn not to blaspheme. You would repent and you would come back. So this wasn't just to condemn these men. It was to discipline them to see if their faith was genuine. And listen, true Christians, as I said, when, when disciplined by God, they will long for restoration. Restoration with God and reconciliation with those whom they have offended. That's what a true Christian will do when they fall under this kind of church discipline. So that warning there in verse 20, don't think that that warning is just for these false teachers who shipwreck their pseudo-faith. 
There are many kinds of spiritual shipwrecks that Christians can experience and do experience if they do not hold the faith with a clear conscience. If you neglect the warnings of God's word and you live contrary to the truth in your life, you will easily shipwreck your witness due to your moral compromises. People will see you as a fraud. You'll easily shipwreck your marriages as well due to deceitful secrets that you keep from one another. You could easily shipwreck your Christian joy as well due to your own selfish desires. So there's a lot of warnings here about spiritual shipwrecks. It's not just to expose these false teachers. Your shipwrecks could lead to the destruction of your witness, the destruction of your marriage, the destruction of your Christian joy. If you're a Christian, it can't lead to the destruction of your faith, but it can lead to the destruction of the life that God has promised us that is to be full in Christ. So we need to avoid moral compromises. We need to avoid deceptive secrets in marriage. We need to avoid selfish desires and pursue what God has revealed to us in His Word. In verse 20, I think the warning to Timothy and to us is this, that if you do not grasp the faith and live it out, you will suffer shipwreck in this life. Be careful. You need to understand something about the battle. The battle with sin and with Satan That battle, in that battle, sin and Satan take no prisoners. Both desire destruction. And sin will do that in our own lives as Christians. It will extinguish our Christian joy. And Satan's influence in our life, if we allow it in, it will distort our witness, as I said. So we have to fight against both of these. If we don't do it the right way, if we don't get into God's word to prepare for this battle, we're going to have a weak faith and a bad conscience. And it will not allow us to fight the fight of faith with joy and confidence. A weak faith, one that's not directed daily to God's word and by God's word, that kind of faith will be easily swept away by cultural morality and new ideologies that will cause you to be tossed to and fro, as it said in Ephesians. And you're going to crash one day into God's discipline. And in that crash, you probably will take others down with you. And if you have a bad conscience, one that's not constantly cleansed by trusting in Christ, then that bad conscience will be able to flood your minds with guilt and cause you to sink into despair and keep you from ever helping anyone else in their battle. So let me ask you this this morning as I conclude. Do you have a weak faith? Do you have a guilty conscience? Do you have a weak faith because you've drifted from God's word? Do you have a guilty conscience because you are entertaining and sinking in sin? If that's what you're experiencing today, I have one word for you, and it's a word to all of us that should encourage our souls that God's given us. The word is repent. Repent. Cry out to God in faith. Trust in Christ's cleansing work at the cross that won the victory over sin and Satan's influence for us. Ask God to help you turn from your sinful behavior and turn from your sinful thinking. And I want you to understand something about asking God that. God is much more eager to give you that than you are to ask for it. Okay, so ask. 
Ask for it. Ask Him in faith, trusting in Christ who promised victory over these enemies through His accomplishments. That's the word that all of us need to remember today in this battle. We all need a change of mind, repentance, and we need a change in our actions if we're going to honor Jesus in this battle that we're waging against sin and Satan's influence. And if we're going to avoid our own spiritual shipwreck and the wreck of others, we need to be constantly turning our hearts to Christ, resting in His Word, looking there for guidance, calling sin, sin in our own lives, and rejoicing when grace is abounding in our lives. So we give hope to those who are on a path to spiritual shipwreck. So my question this morning as I end is this. Do you want to avoid spiritual shipwreck? If you do, repent. Repentance is a one-time thing. It is what we as Christians do daily because we sin daily. And God is eager and willing and able to give us the gift of repentance and to transform our lives and protect us from spiritual shipwrecks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. You have granted us a divine compass to guide us. You've given us protection in a spiritual battle that we are called to wage against sin and Satan's influence. God, I pray that you would use the words that we have heard today to transform the way we think about this battle, that you would use the Word of God, your words, to protect us in this battle and to help us see others who are suffering in this battle. God, help us to be mindful of those that we see around us that are headed toward a spiritual shipwreck because they have a bad conscience or because they don't hold to the faith. Help us to be sensitive. Help us to be mindful and ready and eager to go into the flame to pull them out. God, we want to honor you in this battle. We want to bring you glory and praise. We want to see people rescued through this battle. I pray that you help us as a church family and all those that are here to do this for the glory of Christ's name. Amen.